Hi, since I finished my lecture series yesterday, I'm going to take advantage of the window of opportunity I have now, a little time today, and do the Parsha podcast now, and then get rid of all my obligations for this week, and then I can turn to other matters. I am going away, session this coming week, uh, to England. I'll be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Shabbos. I don't know if any of you are listening in London, but I'll be speaking there in a show called Near Israel, believe it or not, no relation to Baltimore's Near Israel. And also, I'm supposed to give a talk on the 4th of July, believe it or not, in the city of London, which is like Wall Street down there. Uh, I'll have more details later on. But uh, <laughs> after lecture to the Limeys on George Washington, no, not really. Anyhow, uh, so I'll be away next week. I don't know if I'll be able to do any podcast we'll we'll see in the following week near Tzachem, i'm off with my tour that i'm doing of uh central europe you know a prague and the vienna and budapest with another with uh, nicholsburg and eisenstadt thrown in so if everything should go well i'm away for two weeks so a lot of planning and, and preparing i have to get into now a lot of talks coming up so since i have the opportunity now let me talk about the parsha of the week which is shlach about the Moroccan world the rest of it I'll make three points. First of all, one's very funny. In this week's parsha, the Haftorah is about Yoshua and the, and, and, and the spies that he sends to Yericho. Joshua sends two distinguished spies to spy out Jericho. Isn't that not true? And they hide by Rocha Mazona. And what happens when they hide by Rocha Mazona is the, the Pusik, let me see inside. The Pusik says something along the following lines that he sent to Meragam uh, Cheresh, you know, quietly. Here we go. Um, Two secret spies saying, Go spy at Jericho. And they went to the house of Azona. And that's where they stayed. Next passage. And it was told, To the king of Jericho. Two Jewish spies have entered here to spy the land. Well, I guess they weren't too good as spies if they were immediately found out. You understand? I mean, that's not a good sign. He said he sent two guys to hide out. They go to Rachavazona. Next thing you know, it was told to the king of Jericho that two Israeli spies are coming to spy at the land. They knew exactly everything. Gee, I guess they weren't that good in the spy school. Well, this is actually funny. Who did he send? They said, well, they say he sent Kalev and uh, Pinchas. Let's put it this way. To Vilnagon and Chazanish. <laughs> to the house of Rachavazona. In Yericho, Jericho is a Canaanite city. In other words, sin city. So you go to, <laughs> who are you sending to Vegas? You know, to Stipler and, you know, Rabbi Yoshev. But don't worry, they got a baseball hat on, right? They're spies. You understand? They probably said, we are non-Jews. A big sign, I'm a guy. Uh, naturally, they, they're not exactly the type calculated to blend in with the local population. I'm not exactly sure Joshua chose these people. Unless he did it on an extremely firm basis, which is two tzaddik will have siyata and all that sort of thing. That's not your t- Let's put it this way. It's not James Bond, <laughs> okay? I mean, <laughs> he could have sent two Jewish people who look like lowlifes and would blend in with the Canaanites and look like they would be home at the house of Rachel Azona. Uh, seriously, you know, bar cutler or something like that. You walk in, base Rachel Azona. <laughs> They're not going to behave like everybody else. What can I tell you? <laughs> Straight to the room, whatever. And consequently, disguise didn't work. 
But the mission was successful, was it not in the end? That's the end of the story. Siata Ishmael they did have, and the mission was successful, so maybe Yeshua knew a thing or two that James Bond doesn't know. That's that's just one funny point whenever we come to this Haftorah. In addition, in this week's parsha, you have something which, from a rabbi's point of view, an observer of contemporary sociology, is very interesting. You have the classic case of the peer pressure. You, have the, you know the story, I don't have to tell you the story. You have the 12 spies, they all come back with a bad report except for two. So two out of the 12 don't, but everybody else does. But the two out of the 12, you have what you call group dynamics. The two out of 12 are a small minority. The others say, come along with us. No, just go along with us. Give the same report we do. Don't be spoil sports. Don't be nonconformist. Why do you have to muck everything up? If we give a united report, it'll give a powerful message. Then all we want to do is a, a, a report objectively, and you know, the Gemara says what they said was true. There were Bnei Anokim and Arim Gedol's Basura Shemami, you know, the things, Eretz Ochelis Yoshevehohi, it's not untrue. Like I mentioned this morning in a class, anybody knows the story of modern Israel, the first Chalutzim dropped like flies from the malaria and the mosquitoes, all this kind of business. Eretz Ochelis Yoshevehohi, this land that unless it's properly cultivated and it takes a long time, it can destroy its inhabitants. So, it wasn't exactly false, but of course we all know it's how you say it and the spin they put on it and all this kind of business. Now, look how powerful peer pressure is. Joshua and Caleb didn't go along. They're the two nonconformists. How come they didn't go along? We are told, Rashi and the Gemara famously says, that Caleb, in order to, 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 to hope, to resist the peer pressure of going along and agreeing with the bad report about Israel, had to go to Mars Machpel and pray there. Remember that story? He went to pray at Mars Machpel. No, he went to Avram Yitzhak and Sarif Rechel and says, help me out over here because I feel the pull, like a magnetic pull, like, like, like an undertow, to go along with everybody else. And the meaning of that story, if it's really what it's supposed to be, is that without that prayer at the Mars Machpel, Kalev would have been would have succumbed to the social pressure and he would have given a bad report as well. That, my friends, is a powerful story. You understand? This is how I understand you're supposed to interpret all these chazals and stories in the Chumash and all the rest of it. It means that ordinarily, if he hadn't gone to Marcel Vela, then he too would go along with the bad guys. Even though Kalev was a great man and a big tzaddik and so on and so forth, such and such. Look how powerful the peer pressure is. You know, today we got kids, even adults, but the big problem with the kids is the peer pressure. How do you tell them, don't do this, don't watch this, don't go here, you know, it's hard. The rest of your class wants to go, you go. The rest of your friends wants to go, you go. The kid is in college, for example, a from kid. I don't care where he's from. From kid. Everybody else is doing this and this and this on Saturday. You go, you go along. Yeah, it's very hard to resist. If you if you have Zuchus Avos or something like that, if you go if you go to the grave, boy, oh boy, the Maimonideans are going to get angry. The Ramam says, you don't go to graves to pray. You know, the Ramam says, pretty famously, in your Ani Mamins, Lo Levada Roy Lispal, the Ainsu Wassel Roy Lispal. You're only supposed to demonstrate to God and to nobody else. Uh, you know, how's, how's he put it over here? Shehu Yisbar Roy Lovdo Lugad Lahodiyak Dulaso, then only God should you praise and exalt and so forth. Velo Yasek Kizel, Lemishu Tachtamitzias, and to no one else inferior to God. Don't pray to Malachim, Kochavim, Galgalim, Yesodis, Mashokamam. So, you know, this is never been adhered to in the history of Judaism. We always have a long history of people going to, to graves to pray to Tzaddikim, to Bubby and Zadie and all that sort of thing. It's like a big deal. 
Now, the Maimonides, you know, look down their nose and they say, well, the masses are asses, and they're ignoramus, and this and that and the other, and the Meshuggahim go to Uman, and all that sort of thing. Well, how do you explain, you know, the Kalev? Well, the Rambam person will say like this. Like the Rambam says in the Shulchan to be fair about it, the Rambam says, when you go to the Kever of Tzadik, so what you do is you dive into Hashem and be inspired, let's say, by the presence of the Tzadik. You know, that sounds good. <laughs> but that ain't what happens. <laughs> that ain't what happens. People go there, ask your, ask your own parents or grandparents. They go there and they'll say, help! <laughs> you know, Bubby, do something. Zadie, do something. They go to the Kever of so-and-so, Rabbi so-and-so, help me out over here. Do something. You're upstairs in heaven. You got pole. <laughs> Use it. You see? Uh, <laughs> you're sitting in the right hand of God or the left hand. Do something. Uh, strictly speaking, I'm supposed to do it. You know, the Rambam wrote this, but the Rambam isn't the last word in Jewish theology. He was criticized of many, many uh, aspects. And I don't have the Mark Shapiro book here that he wrote long ago about all the people that criticized the Yudgim Lekram. But I bet you, if you look up that chapter... One is it the fourth of uh, Yisod? I say the fifth one, the, the five of the uh, anim, uh, thirteen Animamans. You'll see that all the critics of the Rambam immediately said, "How can you say you can't go and dive anywhere else?" Kalev did. Now this is a classic story. Kalev did. Now I guess the Rambam would say, "I guess Kalev daven Tashem, inspired by the presence in Marzavah Yaakov." Yeah, I don't know. Don't sound like that. It sounds like he said, "Avram Yaakov, Helfmir, two epis." You know, I'm being dragged here, as I say, by the undertow, the other spies. It's very hard to resist the peer pressure and to do something. And as I mentioned earlier today in another context, this is why today in Judaism, uh, it makes sense or not that, you know, the biggest uh, movements are connected with going to graves. Look at Uman and look at Lugbomer, right? And to also a major degree at the, at the Lubavitcher Rebbe in, 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 in Queens. Now, these are major pilgrimage sites, and people are going there. And I can tell you right now, they are davening to the person. Meaning, not that the person can help, but the person can put in a word and be a lawyer, upstairs, uh, but you're not saying, I'm talking straight to God, I'm talking to the intermediary to use your lobbying power the way a lobbyist would do and say, you know, put, put this idea in the mind of God, please. Because if it'll get my daughter, Sheikh, if it'll get my Bubby, a refuge lima, if we got my friend out of bankruptcy, if I get this and that and the other, I'll use any, as expression, I'll use any cat that can, can, can catch a mouse. No atheist in a foxhole. And it's very interesting because this is a tradition that goes back to this week's parsha, to Kalev, bowing down in the Mars and Machpelah, to the uh, ancestors, to the Ovos, and the Imahos, I might add. And it's, I, I like this uh, part because peer pressure is the most powerful thing out there. The number one reason we lose kids is the peer pressure. I mean, you know that, I know that. Uh, and even adults. Uh, peer pressure is very difficult to, uh, to resist. And even Kali found it hard. Now, what about Joshua? Joshua, they, they give a Hasidic interpretation. Moshe gave him an extra letter. Isn't that where he gets Yehoshua from? Remember that? We all learned this. Uh, his name was Hoshea ben Nun. But now, Moshe, Hoshea ben Yehoshua. That the Yud means that God should protect you from the counsel of the other ten. In other words, Moshe could smell a rat, according to Achazal. And he said, you're going to have a lot of peer pressure. I am giving you a personal bracha that you'll be able to resist it. It's a different approach. Kalev represents one approach, which is you go and daven. Uh, either you can interpret that as, as trying to find um, spiritual energy from your 
ancestors. That is, you know, that works for some. Or just the emotion of diving at the cover of a great person. That is emotional energy also. But Yahushua is more like, he got a bracha from the Satmar Rebbe. He got a bracha from the Labavitch Rebbe. In this case, he got a bracha from Moshe Rebbe, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, who the Hasidim obviously will say with the first Rebbe because it's not a new thing according to the Hasidim. Hasidim is as old as time. So Moshe Rabbeinu was the first Rebbe. Well, if the Rebbe gives you a special bracha, mm-hmm. and if you're a believer, then in a Hanami, uh, even though there's a powerful undertow, you will be able to resist it. So that's almost like a mystical supernatural. One is that Khalif had to work at it and find inspiration, I guess, from the, uh, from the Avos, and the other one is, no, no, no. Moshe Aminu gave Yeshua like a, a special bracha. And if you're armed with a special bracha, it's like a talisman, you know. It can beat all the regulars. But, my friends, what does this mean? Absent either of those two, if you don't have the grave thing or the avos thing on the one hand, if you don't have a special bracha, you are going down. You're going to be part of the undertow because it's very hard for most people to resist the peer pressure. Look what a powerful message that is. I think it's very, very interesting in this week's parsha. I want to throw in one more piece, and that is, uh, of course, today Moshe Rabbeinu is uh, one of the two famous speeches in which he saves the Jewish people. One is back at the Golden Calf, and the other one's today, this week's Parsha, with the Maragrim. In both cases, God said, I'm going to kill them all. And Moshe Dobbins said, don't do this, the finest hour. But Moshe puts himself up to save Kal Yisrael. But do, in what way? He acts like a lawyer, you understand? So it's very interesting, you know, what is, what is, what does a lawyer do? Lawyer do whatever it takes, you understand? You know, if you, if, if you're dealing with this kind of jury, mm-hmm. you try this tactic. If you're dealing with a different type of jury, you try a different line of argument. That's what you paid a lawyer for being, correct? So, Moshe will do that. So, if you go back to, uh, you know, back in the golden calf. So, what, what does Moshe, uh, you know, say, say over there? A whole bunch of different arguments, correct? Uh, what was it again? He said, don't kill him because him amcho and achlo secho. Moshe says, remember, zechu salva, zechor le'avram li'etzach al-Yisrael avadecho, ha'shen ishbat l'embach arba zechach al-kach ha'shemayim. He appeals to the Avos. And, you know, that was a good argument. That worked. Vayinachem ha'shem al-rashi adib l'asos le'yamo. You know, because he appealed to the zechu salva, so God said, okay, at this time in the Meraglim, what do you find in this week's parsha? Let me see. I think he says a different argument. What do the Goyim say? Right? You look weak. You look weak. Um, it says over here that Shamu by Yemer Moshe Hashem Shamu Mitzrayim Kelisa Bechol Chazami Mikirbo. The Egyptians will hear that you took him out, and they'll say, "Yeah, we're strong enough to take him out." But he wasn't strong enough to take him in. Because he was too weak to get him all across Israel, they were killed in the desert. And therefore, uh, think about what I just told you. You don't want to look bad. Okay? And uh, God said, okay, salakti kidurecho. Meaning, use a different approach. Uh, he is in both, in both places, but here the emphasis to me is on the different approach. Uh, you find <laughs> it's the same lawyer in front of the same judge with the same client, but last time it was a break-in. This time it's a you know a car crash. Last time it was a golden calf. 
this time is the way that the, the judge knows the lawyer, the judge knows the client, all the rest of it, and Moshe has quite a task on his hands. Now, a good lawyer can do this, right? A good lawyer can do this. There's a story in my family, my father, I, I think I mentioned it here <laughs> some time ago, that uh, this happened to my wife's father, who was a big lawyer in Baltimore, and he was up on a case and, in front of a judge, and the other lawyer said, you know, I just realized a year ago, uh, both of us were in front of you, Your Honor, and we were on the opposite sides of the law. I argued in favor of A, and this other lawyer, my father, Mr. Hedelman, argued in favor of B, and you found for him. Well, this year, this time a year later, I'm arguing for B, and he's arguing for A. So shouldn't I win since you found for me a year ago? And the judge says, you know, I talk, I forgot about that. What do you have to say? And my father-in-law says, that's why I'm here, Your Honor, because one year ago in this very courtroom, a gross miscarriage of justice took place, and we would have it made right. And the story is he won the case. So there's your good lawyer. You know, same client, same argument, but now you can turn the judge around. Use whatever it takes. The, this is Moshe Abeno working full-time as an attorney, attorney of record for Claudia Thrall, as they said before, in front of the same judge, in front of the same client, and, you know, what did your client do this time, you know? He didn't know he didn't break any tablets, but he did go and mess up on Israel and do the Miraglim. It's, it's quite a story, obviously. But there's a third approach, which I found perfectly fascinating last week in Balotzla, I'm going to call your attention to. What's happening over there? The Jewish people are complaining, they're borching, they're driving everybody crazy, including Hashem. It says those words. God got angry, right? And the fire, you know, hit the people. And then once they finished that, then once they, the, the Masonim were taken care of, then these other guys, the Asafsu, the rabbis start complaining. And they say, We want meat. And we remember the fish in Egypt and everything was great back there. And now it's terrible. And what is it? Listen to this. Vayishma Moshe es Om He heard the whole wailing. In other words, one birching and complaining could spread to the other, spread to the other. Next thing you know, everybody, all three million Jews are crying. Listen closely. Hashem I didn't say that before. God got not angry, he got very angry. Moshe And in the eyes of Moses, it was, it was evil. What is it? Who cares about the eyes of Moses? Right? It doesn't mean that, I mean, the push-up shot is, Hashem didn't like all the complaining, and Moshe didn't like all the complaining. After all, who can stand a bunch of Jews wailing? Take it from me, you know, just go into your shoal. Who can stand it? But that's not really what it means. It means, any Moshe Ra, Moshe got very disturbed that he saw God really losing his temper, because it says, Vayicharaf Hashem Ma'od. And so what does Moshe do? It's very interesting. Moshe, he, no, let's put it this way. He see God boiling over, and, you know, it, 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 it's going to be explosion any minute. Uh, the volcano is going to erupt, uh, the divine volcano, and then uh, the Jews will get wiped out. So then Moshe immediately does like this: "Vayamre Moshe al Hashem, Loma Harios Loma Sev Loma Tzasichem Einecha Lasum Masa Azeh." This is where Moshe does his whole drama queen thing. I quit. Why did you put the heavy burden on me? Did I bear these people after camera? I can't take it anymore. It's killing me. Hargani Narog. Kill me and get this over with. I can't stand anymore, and so on and so forth. And then Hashem says, take it easy, calm down, we'll get you 70 helpers and a different story. Do you see what just happened? Moshe threw himself under the bus, right? In the way of the bus. Hashem was getting angry, going to blow over. Moshe, in order to make that not happen, immediately throws a temper tantrum to God. That's my understanding of it. 
and he says, I quit, and all the rest of it, diverting Kaviachol, the attention of Hashem from the butchers and the complainers, to Moshe. And all of a sudden, Hashem doesn't have time to worry about the people who are, ang- you know, who are complaining. He concentrates his efforts on appeasing Moses, and he does. He says, I'll get you 70 helpers, all the rest of it. But he didn't forget what the people say, and Hashem uses a rare case of divine rhetoric. Divine rhetoric means when you use language for effect, not for literal. So this is God talking. What does he say? He says, I'm going to tell him I'm going to give him meat. Lo yom echad, lo yomayim, lo chamishayimim, lo asariyimim, lo esriyam, ad chodeshim, ashim, mitzimim, abchem, lo chodeshim, I'll give him food for not for meat for a day, and, and to, 10 days and 20 days, I'm going to have it come out of their nose. My friends, meat does not come out of anybody's nose. It's expression, meaning God is using expression, rhetorical expression. But look what Moshe did. You see what I'm saying? Moshe said, he, he turned himself into a case to divert the attention of Hashem, which is the classic line of the lawyer. You know, what, how do they say it? If you got the law on your side, you argue the law. If you got the evidence on your side, you already evidence something like that. If you got neither on your side, scream and pound the table. Uh, in this case, Moshe does a fainting act in court, so to speak. He says, I'm sick. I can't take it anymore. I quit. Kill me. And by doing that, he diverts at a peak moment the divine anger so it doesn't build up to what it otherwise would build up to. And whereas the voluptuaries are punished, but it's not the destruction that it might have been. So we see over here in these several parshas, including today's, what is to my uh, uh, opinion, my analysis, a very wonderful uh, image of Moshe Rabbeinu in his capacity as lawyer for Kali Sorrel. Not many people could do it. This, I think, my friends, is why uh, God majorly recruited him. Back at the burning bush, Moshe said, I don't want the job. No, 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 no. Hashem would not let him go. Like a hard, hardball recruiter. He said, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. And he literally wouldn't let him go. And why wouldn't he let him go? Why didn't he want Dafka Moshe? This is why. Because somebody else, it was you or I, we say, the heck with the Jews, I can't stand this anymore. You know, destroy them. I can't take it. I, I have it up to here. And Moshe, you know, has a sense of duty. Once he took the job, he's in. He's, he's a lawyer, and, 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 and whatever case a lawyer can do, he tries his best, and when he succeeds, he himself is astonished. That's why he says, So this is Moshe Rabbeinu in his greatest role. So look how much material you have if you need something to say in this week's Parsha. Have a good Shabbos and have a good weekend.